Coming up today on The Courier Daily. So I just think there are so many things that we can't discuss, examine, dismantle if we can't talk about money. And there's so much shame that surrounds it today. And I think conversation is often the first way to dismantle shame. And a bit later on. So yeah, so we're seeing like a really big increase in demand from founders about what kinds of things they should be doing to make the workplace safe for people to return to. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 1st of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We're checking in with small business owners all over the world to hear insights on how to adapt and pivot during the pandemic. Today, we're talking money and mental health. Alex Holder is the author of Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money. This morning in The Courier Weekly, our Friday morning email newsletter, Alex gave her four tips on how to manage your relationship with money. Well, today Alex is on the line from her home in Lisbon to tell us a bit more. And, you know, Alex, so many people right now are losing their clients, customers, losing their disposable income. It seems to be a pretty precarious time for personal finances in general, right? Well, it's interesting because I don't think you have to have been furloughed or your industry to have been flattened right now to be stressed about money. And actually, I think there's lots of people really benefiting from lockdown in terms of actually having more disposable income. You know, we're not spending it on coffees. We're not going to the pub. We're not getting into Ubers. So I spoke to a lot of people who are at this, the other end of the spectrum. But it also comes with like there's still no future security anymore. And then obviously there are people that are being furloughed. And furloughed is if you live in London and you are on a decent salary, above average salary, being furloughed is a huge impact to your monthly income. It will probably might not cover your rent and like other basic outgoings. So I think we're seeing kind of a spectrum of how this is affecting different people. Yeah, I mean, not every case is the same at all whatsoever. Why do you think talking about money is so important? I mean, so many people hold their personal finances and money-related issues really close to their chest. You know, they don't like talking about their salary or their savings. Why is it such a touchy subject, do you think? So, well, first I'll talk about why I think we should talk about money and then I'll get to why it's a touchy subject and I don't think we do. I don't think we can challenge any of the inequalities in life or just any of the kind of emerging issues if we can't talk about our money. And by our money, I mean like the meat of our own personal finances. I don't think we can talk about our addiction to fast fashion, the effect of the bank of mum and dad on the property market, the pay gap, just kind of spending addiction, debt, without talking about our actual money. So I kind of as an experiment, I guess, I started talking about my own personal finances. I don't come from money. I did earn a decent amount in advertising for quite a while. And now I'm a freelancer with a fairly kind of up and down. Nothing bad has come from me opening up and talking, whether that's being with friends who earn more or less than me, my family. Like I had a very sobering conversation with my parents about their pension and that made me start to contribute to mine for the first time. I managed to buy a flat by the help of Bank of Mum and Dad, not my mum and dad, my boyfriends. And I think opening up to my friends about that and letting them know that's how we'd done it meant that people that were working really hard and earning very decent salaries couldn't blame themselves. It's, like, it's a systematic issue kind of property. So I just think there are so many things that we can't discuss, examine, dismantle if we can't talk about money. And I think money, although it feels like an inherent taboo, that's a social construct. We were told not to talk about money. I think at one point when the kind of rich and very, I guess, the upper echelons of society who didn't need to talk about it, didn't talk about it and therefore made it a thing that no one else should either. And it's a real privilege to not have to talk about money. 
And there's so much shame that surrounds it today, whether you feel like you earn too much or whether you feel like you earn too little or you're in debt. And I think only conversation is often the first way to dismantle shame and kind of provide connection and make you realise that you're not alone. I think there's probably many people sat at home at the moment feeling really isolated with their money issues and don't realise that they're probably connected to many other people in their lives that are experiencing exactly the same problem at the moment. Yeah, and mental health obviously ties into this as well. I mean, like you said, people feel ashamed that they don't make enough money. People who are recently laid off feel like they have no self-worth. I mean, what would you say to those people? What advice would you give? It's interesting because mental health and money are so connected, yet we don't kind of think of them as interconnected topics. But money is the biggest cause of anxiety in the UK for UK adults. If you have a mental health problem, you're far more likely to be in problem debt. And then in the UK, one in four people have a mental health problem, and that's a diagnosed issue at any given time. So there's a huge proportion of the population that are suffering with mental health, but also then are suffering with financial issues. And because we can't talk about either of them, or they've both been stigmatised in the past, the kind of issues that are created by them compounding, again, become this undiscussable realm. If you think about mental health on a spectrum from low level anxiety, and if you're you're thinking about money every single day and it's kind of causing you like slight heart palpitations that's a mental health problem you also think about all the way to you know low level depression to critical depression to bipolar where actually a doctor will look at your spending and that's a diagnostic criteria like money affects how we feel and the money we have affects how we behave and i think we need to start examining them together Yeah, and in the months ahead, a lot of us will just have less money to spend on things, experiences, products, travel. Do you think that will change us in any big way? Like, you know, will we become more at peace with that drop in disposable income or actually the opposite? So I speak from a place of privilege that I'm not really struggling. You know, I can make ends meet right now, but I am really enjoying the lack of social pressure to spend money. I don't feel the need to buy new clothes for work. I I realize actually how much money I spent on looking at what I thought was acceptable. (laughs) You know, spending habits often kind of can be like the cornerstones of our days and how ridiculous that is, that we often don't feel like we've been productive in that moment unless we've gone and bought a coffee. I'm hoping that there's some benefit from this, that people will realise that they perhaps don't need to spend as often and as much. There's lots of stats on this, but I think about 28 days is what they say to change habits and change behaviours. And now we've been in lockdown for that amount of time. I think it'll be interesting to reassess our spending and our needs and our wants after this period. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, what big misconceptions do you think people have about their personal finances? You know, I should have X amount of money squirreled away for a rainy day, for instance. Researching my book, and I've just recorded a podcast for Audible called Awkward Conversations About Money. I'm not financially accredited, but I have had many, many, many conversations with people about the actual money they earn and the actual money they spend. And I guess that's where my expertise lies. The one thing that I can say is that more money is not the answer for most people. Absolutely. If you're earning a minimum wage and you're not earning living wage, definitely if you get right to kind of the bottom percentage and people are really struggling, money correlates with happiness. More money would make them happier. But once you are in that middling income, once you've hit that average income of about £28,000, there is so much research that suggests that you're not going to get any happier. 
And I've seen it time and time again, because earning more money always comes at some cost. It comes at a cost of time, of health, of passion. Every time we take a pay rise, we are taking on additional pressure and stress. The most elite men in America, the richest men, have far less leisure time than the poorest men in America. Yeah, I mean, you have Elon Musk sleeping under his desk and tweeting weird conspiracy theories. And I think when I was growing up, if I pictured a rich person, they were like lying on a lilo with a cocktail in hand. And now if I think about the richest person I know, and I'd actually encourage all the listeners to kind of hold in their head, like who do they know personally that they think probably earns the most amount of money? Are they lying on a lilo? I mean, no one is right now, but they're probably mostly in the office really late. So I think the biggest misconception is that more money is always the answer. I often encourage people when they're offered a pay rise or when they're thinking about changing jobs, actually would more time to themselves be a bigger benefit to their life than an extra few thousand pounds. And, you know, what just overall advice would you give to people listening who are a bit stressed about their personal financial situation? You know, any out-of-the-box tips that they should take on board? My tips are always really, really obvious. So look at your money. So really make sure you understand your incomings and your outgoings because you can't make good decisions if you don't know what you, the tools you've got to play with. It's amazing how many times I speak to people and they're surprised by a bill that leaves their account every single month. <laughs> money isn't just maths, it's emotional. So therefore we avoid it for a multitude of reasons. But I think getting back to the figures of what's coming in and what's going out. And then you can assess how you feel about the future, how secure you feel at the moment. Security is one of the biggest pieces like for peace of mind and for kind of feeling zen and feeling well about your money. Money wellness I talk about rather than being rich. I think you have to feel a certain sense of control and flow. So I think right now so much is out of control. So you know, if you've got investments and they're tumbling, don't check them every single day. So while I'm saying be aware of what's coming, you know, your money, also don't do things that are going to exacerbate anxiety. And the other thing I'd say is start tracking your mental health along with your financial situation. So the other day, I was really stressed and feeling very unproductive. And ultimately, I worked out that it's because there was this one unpaid invoice that I had been chasing many, many days and it received no response. And it was that, that was enough to weigh me down for the whole day and not kind of let me get on with anything else. And once I'd realised that, then I could send the email I needed to send, make the phone call and kind of remove that for a moment. I encourage conversations about money, but the most important conversation to have is the one with yourself. So just kind of analysing your feelings and your relationship with it, which might just be 10 minutes with a pencil and paper. Thanks, Alex. That was Alex Holder, the author of Open Up, The Power of Talking About Money. And to pick up on that conversation right now is Courier columnist Fleur Emery. Fleur, you talk with a billion freelancers and entrepreneurs pretty much every day. What are some of the biggest stresses that people have mentioned to you about their personal finances right now? So what's interesting to me is that in the conversations I'm in with mostly female freelancers and, and founders of small businesses, is that they're kind of splitting into two camps. So my lot were the last to hear from Rishi Sunak about what support was going to be available. We were left hanging on a bit, right? While the bigger businesses with employees and premises were like being given promises. So we were kind of left waiting, looking up at the kind of 
beneficent father saying, like, you give them that much pocket money, how much am I going to get? And this sense of tension started sort of being communicated around between different people, sort of like, oh, how am I going to survive? How am I going to do this? And then what happened when the news started coming through about the idea that in June, HMRC are going to notify you're going to get 80% of you know, your mean average income over the last three years, according to your self-assessment. When that came through, what happened was there was a split. There was pretty much half, I'd say, of the people I'm talking to or I'm sort of whose conversations I'm in started getting their calculators out, scratching their hair and pacing the floor and saying, how, how am I going to survive since that till then? That's not fair. This isn't fair. I had a baby. I claim dividends, blah, blah, blah. Worrying and sort of projecting and getting into a scarcity mode. And then the other half just went sort of full into entrepreneurial self-preservation mode and just started making money. What's really interesting is noticing the sort of external signs of mental health and mental buoyancy is, is of course, the self-reliant camp are pretty happy. And the other lot who are setting up multiple Facebook groups, you know, to have Facebook lives with financial experts to, to work out how you can get £100 more, they're the ones who are, you know, showing signs of being outwardly apprehensive and anxious my kind of overriding message because lots of people are coming to me on Instagram and expecting actually that I'm going to be pouring through all this stuff from the government ready to give out sort of detailed analysis of it and feedback and I made a decision quite early on that I was definitely in the other camp and that my overall piece of advice is let's just think about how we can get to the other side of this without needing a bailout because Ultimately, first of all, we're entrepreneurs, you know, that's what we do. So just do your thing and sort of try not to worry, you know, find a way to adapt. You know, you're going to be better between the years if you do that. And secondly, of course, there's this idea that where does this money come from? Well, it comes from all of us, you know, it's, we're all going to be responsible for repaying it back into, you know, the national pocket over the next four years. Don't use it unless you need it. Not just because I'm saying that's the right thing to do, but personally, I think it's the right thing to do, you know, to be more community-minded. But second of all, it's just not the path to creative happiness, in my opinion. Have you changed how you think about your personal finances during this crisis? I would say that I'm pretty efficient in terms of, you know, I I run things pretty lean. I I don't waste money. I'm, I'm careful with money. And I'm thoughtful and mindful about it. And I have been for a long time. I've needed to be like that. I've been working in my own startups for 15 years. And I haven't had a substantial exit from any of those projects. So I've never earned very much money. And I'm comfortable in that space. So in fact, a psychologist friend argued that I subconsciously put myself in that place because I enjoy the day-to-day hustle, which is a whole other show. I'm mindful about money. I feel like... The little bit of extra I do have, I'm enjoying sharing it around, like in the creative community. I'm enjoying buying goods and services from other people who you see in your magazine. And I think a lot of people are enjoying that in the same way. You know, mindful spending is sort of another conversation that is really alive at the moment, which I think is a great thing. Whether I make three grand or one grand, 
I'm not a big earner. So I don't think it's not like I don't go on foreign holidays and I don't buy handbags. I'm not that person. So my life doesn't actually change that much because I live quite simply. And finally, it's Friday, which means Courier Weekly, our Friday morning newsletter, has hopefully dropped into your inbox, wherever you are in the world, as your guide to what you'll be able to read are, yet again, Courier editors John Sunier and Duncan Griffiths. Duncan, let's start with you. This week, we've got a great workshop story about a coffee company that's done some pivoting in India. What's that all about? Yeah, so Casey Roasters, who are this really great third-wave coffee company from Mumbai. They basically adapted their roastery and warehouse space into becoming a logistics hub and they're kind of accepting products from loads of local brands who have contacted them and are now selling and distributing those products from their warehouse. So they've kind of adapted all their operations, so they're still employing the same staff and using third-party delivery apps to kind of get these products out to people who are ordering them online. Cheers, Duncan. And John, we also, of course, looked at the future of the workplace in a post-COVID world. Uh, What could you tell us about that story that you worked on? Yeah, so going back to an office that was quite far away for us here in the UK, but people in Denmark, Norway, Austria, and across Europe certainly have been, as well as in some places in Asia. And they've been going back to pretty different offices. I mean, what do you both think Korea is going to be like when we go back? Have you thought about it? I'm not expecting that I have to make eye contact with anyone. I'm thinking it's going to be eyes to the floor and single single file marching. So nothing will really change then, Duncan? Yeah, so as usual. Okay, you might be disappointed then, Duncan, because I think eye contact's still a thing. So, for example, we spoke to Motive Productions, which is a London-based studio founded by Rosie Chatwin, and she's seen a lot of demand for freestanding hand sanitizer dispensers, vinyl floor markings, perspect dividers between desks... We're seeing some really interesting things across Holland and New York. Um, There's a new company which is launched, which basically helps companies kind of implement social distancing rules in their office by doing a virtual reality mock-up of what things could be like when we go back. So yeah, so we're seeing like a really big increase in demand from founders about what kinds of things they should be doing to make the workplace safe for people to return to. And that's it for today. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts. And as ever, sign up to our newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of pivoting, adapting, and growing. Head to couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again on Monday.